0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long term views on debt markets
1: and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Hi, I'm Eric Kazatsky, and welcome to the February 2022 episode of Masters of the Universe. Today, we are going to discuss how the muni market is changing. And for a market that prides itself on being unchanged, why that is not such a bad thing. One of the largest areas of change we have seen is how the buyer base of the sector is maturing. Traditionally, bonds have been bought and sold and held by individual investors with the assistance of their broker. However, the landscape looks a lot different than it did even 10, 15 years ago, with mutual funds and ETFs seeing tremendous asset growth over that time. However, for those buyers who still want some degree of customization, there is one category we can point to specifically, and that is separately managed accounts or SMAs. Today we are joined by an expert in the SMA space, Sylvia Yeh from Goldman Sachs Asset Management. And I'm also joined by Amanda Albright, who many of you know from Bloomberg News municipal coverage. But before we kick off, I wanna quickly shout out our partners over in Bloomberg Indices. Bloomberg's index team and Bloomberg Intelligence partner very closely bringing BI's proprietary research and analysis to the construction of Bloomberg's best-in-class indices. And with that, why don't we go ahead and get started? welcome everyone. Hi. So Amanda, why don't you, you had a bunch of questions as we were sort of like plotting out this whole conversation and, and, you know, a lot of them that, you know, we haven't even really thought of or touched on in the report we did to start the year, which sort of like generated why we're even talking about SMAs. You know, why don't you get us started?
0: Yeah. So I guess um, I did have a lot of questions for um, Sylvia. And so I think maybe one place to kind of kick off the conversation would just be, you know, what are kind of the advantages of being able to provide um, a a customizable portfolio through the SMA wrapper? Like what, what are kind of the selling points that you really emphasize when you're talking to clients?
2: Sure. Thanks. Um, I would say the biggest benefit, and you mentioned it in your question, was level of customization. I think our clients have grown as our market has and and developed a lot over the years. And they do want to have some say and insight into how their money is being invested and how their portfolios are being put together. The notion of one size fits all really doesn't exist the way that it used to. And it probably kicked off if we scroll back to the financial crisis, the reason why separately managed accounts kind of came to be and became such a a flavor I guess to follow is because clients would call up because they were nervous or they wanted to have a conversation about something they owned and there was no personal answer so for clients being able to have connectivity personalization partnership with the people who are investing their cash is meaningful to them especially when you go through uh, pockets of volatility whether it's something financial crisis whether it's a Meredith Whitney whether it is uh, COVID or even just January, right? Clients want to be able to know personally what is happening to them um, so they can get that insight with a separate account, which is first and foremost. And then digging into the details, You know how they want to be invested with respect to where they live, what their preferences are, what their values are, like what is their individual goal through this uh, investment. Those are the answers that can be kind of discussed and relayed through a separate account that you can't necessarily get in a one-size-fits-all mutual fund or ETF.
0: What's the quintessential um, like investor in an SMA? Is it kind of the Uber wealthy? Like who is kind of the typical investor?
2: That's kind of changed too over time, right? Like if we roll back, like we've all been doing this for a while, if we think back to when we started in the business, you know, mutual funds everyone can access when separate accounts kind of came to be it really was for the institutional like individual investors with the large sums of money who wanted the you know couple or a few million dollar portfolios put together our market wasn't really trading in smaller size position it was still that institutional level of trading the algos didn't exist the smaller broker dealers who were providing that type of liquidity didn't exist so it almost you know, forced a market to exist at a higher sub account level than it does today, where you fast forward and you can see it through um, the COVID crisis, right? We saw a lot of liquidity in smaller pieces from smaller broker dealers, maybe more so than some of the traditional larger broker dealers. So that's actually allowed for our market to kind of go more mainstream on the SMA space, because we've been able to accomplish um, deeper infrastructure to facilitate uh, the nuances of the separate account. So you went from that institutional high net worth to us in mainstream.
1: So I love data, obviously, because I wouldn't be doing this job if I didn't. Um, and I like putting numbers in context around stuff. So you know, when it comes to SMEs, it's really amazing. We, we put out a report at the beginning of the year that just looks at how the media market continues to evolve. And we, the numbers we're seeing right now is SMEs, total SMEs for all asset classes are 2.4 trillion. That seems amazing to me, And especially in the fact that that has grown about a trillion from almost the, the pre-pandemic stage, right? So like a lot of money coming into this space. And of that amount, there's almost 600 billion just in Munis, right? So there really is a mass appetite there. But I guess my question would be, look, you've had all this big adoption in the last couple of years. Do you see that trajectory of growth being sustained going forward, or do you think we're sort of at critical size right now?
2: I can totally see it continuing to evolve. And I think a big reason for that is um, the level of data that we're kind of mining in the muni market, whether it is, I mean, we all know munis, there is no standardization. Um, So whether it's all the the entrance into the muni market with respect to that data mining, whether it's to the specific issues, whether it is ESG related, um, the more data we can get, the more customizations we can offer to clients, which is the, the, the crux of any successful separate account platform. So from that perspective, I think we're only gonna get better. I'm actually excited about rates going up because when you look at the SMA um, transactional process versus uh, the mutual funds, like. Clients are looking at their portfolio and they're looking at every trade versus what they're paying in fee versus what the yield is on the bond that was just purchased. Uh, And I think a lot of cash, as we all know, that's on the sidelines due to, you know, how short the illiquidity moments are in our market these days is waiting to be deployed. Right. So we're either sitting in cash, we're short in our separate accounts or we're hanging out in shorter mutual funds and waiting to rebuild our asset allocation from unis which for a lot of clients has become the separately managed account flavor. So I think rates are also gonna help us. And I also believe that while we have a very strong credit backdrop now in munis, we've gone through periods of time where that might not have been the case and clients got comfortable with the fact that they could get the answers that they were looking for. So while things look a lot better today, something will happen again. And they've gotten used to being able to have that dialogue um, an engagement with someone on the other end of the phone about their particular investment versus what's going on in the market away from them. So I think this is—I'm not going to say it's the beginning because we've passed the beginning—but um, mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of really neat opportunity ahead with respect to how the market develops and what we can offer in separate accounts.
0: Nice. I mean, I guess just with that, um, you know, you mentioned January, and I know um, we'll probably talk about uh, the January soft kind of in depth later on. But I'm just curious in terms of like the customization, like. Obviously, the hot topic right now is inflation. I mean, how much are you hearing from people who are like, I want my portfolio super customized to somehow be inflation resilient? Like, I guess I'm just curious if that's something that comes up in the um, customization combos or if that's just like something broadly that people want in any muni portfolio at this point.
2: Yeah, interesting. We actually don't have a lot of great options um, with respect to inflation in the muni market. Right, we don't like we had VRDNs are great, they're still around, auction rate securities, not so much, FRNs, not really deep enough. So it's hard for clients. Um, It's hard for us to provide clients with the solution there. Um, There are other alternatives in non SMA format that can be better suited if they're looking for that inflation play for us. When we talk about our separately managed accounts. I'm not going to pretend to know where rates are going to go. I wish I could. I wouldn't be sitting on the other end of the phone with you guys. Um, But we try to get our clients to understand that this is a long term strategic investment and not tactical and even if you look at something so simple as a laddered portfolio. You have bonds maturing every year. You have money coming due all the time. You're naturally going to reinvest into those higher interest rates. That resonates more with our clients, and those are more of the conversations that we're having versus inflation in particular. Um, There's a lot of cash, as we talked about, on the side waiting to be invested into these higher rates. Back in the day, we thought that separate accounts were kind of a set it and forget it. with, With rates going up tax loss harvesting is going to become a thing. We're starting to see it in grander scale, maybe on the institutional level, but you're going to see that in separate accounts too. So while we might not have a product or a solution specific within the separate account, there's a lot that we can do within the separate accounts to keep up with inflation and rising rates.
1: Mm. I mean, one of the positive points, right, Amanda, is that um, we can point to the fact that munis have actually done well in periods of high inflation and or even recessionary periods from a performance standpoint. So I would think that has to be a good talking point for clients. I mean, Sylvia, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to say that history will repeat itself. (laughs) I think that's a disclosure that we all have on everything we say or or put in writing. Higher
1: performance, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, But you're absolutely right. I mean, we do have a a good track record to kind of weather the storm and get through um, what's ahead of us. I would say Mm -hmm. in particular during this cycle, because we don't have an underlying credit problem. And this really is just going to be a technical and rates-driven adjustment. Um, so I think we have that in our favor as well this go-round.
1: So one of the things, and having been on the buy side at SNA shops, like I could fully appreciate this pain point, right? That one of the the issues is always like death by a thousand line items. You know, it's like the, the struggle of like trying to sort of right-size portfolios, especially when you have accounts transferring in in-kind and they sort of, you know, bring their baggage with them. You know, do you find that? you know, at at this stage of the game, that's still a struggle for larger managers and not just smaller shops who are in the SMA space?
2: Um, That is an interesting question. I don't see it as a struggle. I see it as a reason from a client's perspective when they're choosing an asset manager to engage with, in particular, on the separate account side mutual fund, I will not take away from our mutual fund portfolio managers, they have a really hard job. But on the separate account side, you need very strong infrastructure to be able to manage all of these line items, manage all of this trading, manage all of the risk management from that point forward. Um, so if you're investing in your technology properly to, to manage and scale your business, it shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Right? And that's why we're in this business. And that's why we're able to be successful at what we do for the smaller shops. Um, that don't have the resources or haven't invested in technology, and they're managing portfolios on spreadsheets. That's not great.
1: Tell me, I mean, that's not happening still.
2: It is still happening because we see it in some portfolios that we look at um, when they are being transferred in, um, yeah. and that's just not acceptable these
1: days. Yeah, truly back of the envelope math when you see a portfolio come in like uh, that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sylvia, you know, you're you're making a broader point about investment in technology, you know, what are you seeing as sort of like the coolest advancements in the SMA space over the last two years, right? Because there's always new players coming in on the margins, who want to be like tech oriented and address communities in terms of enhancing portfolio management tools, and just trying to make more efficiencies happen.
2: Uh, two answers to that question. Um, one, I really love some of the progress that our dealer counterparts have made with respect to direct connectivity. Um, I think that has been you know, life-changing uh, with respect to how we bring that information in and what we're doing with that information. You know, We look at the muni market and we can talk about credit at another time, but speed to market is alpha. So how quickly and effectively can we get to market, especially when we look at those pockets of volatility that you know don't hang out the way that they used to. Um, I think that is really advantageous. And with that, I would say some of, as I mentioned earlier, some of the algorithmic bidding has been really helpful to provide liquidity during times of, I don't even say market stress, but just when we need it on smaller pieces, which are inherent to the separate accounts. So that from a a process and trading perspective has been neat to see develop. Um, And then the other side is data. It it really is, I mean, you said you're a data junkie. There are people on our desks that are equally data junkies. Um, And for the muni market that has just been so old and behind for so long to finally have, you know, and it's not just one or two, but like a group of entities that are here to help provide better transparency and better data, I think is so important for us as fiduciaries who are trying to manage this money responsibly. Um, and I think it's really important for, uh, for clients to be able to see for themselves what we're doing, for us to be able to translate it to them. So we're not just telling them a story. They can
1: they can see it for themselves. Transparency is really important. Yeah, I would imagine.
0: So um, you guys were joking about Excel spreadsheets, um, which was kind of, I didn't really get it. Like, I would think it would be on an Excel spreadsheet, but it sounds like there's some <laughs> way where you can kind of yeah. sit through things really easily and just like, Go through a ton of portfolios really quickly i just i'm wondering if you can spell it out like what does it look like <laughs> <laughs> this technology like what does it look like
2: um how do i tell you this without giving away the secret sauce um it is a it's a multifaceted, i would say user database that can handle large amounts of information and large amounts of inputs and constraints Right. I mean, you need your SMA manager. You can have accounts as small as one hundred thousand and you can have them as big as a few billion dollars. Right. And you can have thousands upon thousands of them. And they all needed to be treated. All do need to be treated fairly and equally. And they're all going to have cash available or not at different points in time. So how do you manage and massage all of that data um, at the same time? No matter how good you are at Excel, there's no way you can build pivot tables or macros that are going to be intense enough. To allow you to do your job effectively, so you know you do need really good engineers behind the scene, uh, building that high tech, like next generation of what Excel (laughs) needs to be. (laughs) I'm really bad at Excel,
1: so as am I. So it's good to hear that it's going away, so I can like hide how bad I am at it.
2: (laughs) Every time I hear, or you can even tell too, when we're bringing in portfolios from other um, other shops, and you see how they're coming in, you're like. Uh, this is printed out for myself.
1: <laughs> All right. So, sticking with the technology questions, I, you know, what do you see as far as the the additive nature? You mentioned algos, right? And algos mean different things to different people. I think a lot of the people in, in the media industry think of algos as just like auto bidding, but I feel like there's been a lot of advancement for the buy side as far as using your machine learning um, when it comes to credit and and, and sort of you know, doing like negative screening, you know, is that something that that you guys are implementing and, you know, how how, how are the advancements when it comes to stuff like that?
2: Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, again, it goes back to, do you have good data? Algos mean nothing unless you have good data to build upon. Um, And then it does allow all of us as asset managers to implement those customizations. So whether it's screening in or out, whether it's you know, differentiating credit number one from credit number two, um, risk performance and analysis and to your earlier point two of pricing, right? I mean, we have traders on the street who are using algos to provide liquidity. We on the buy side are using algos to help determine what something is worth and where we want to bid, right? And where it makes sense. So all of that is just bringing greater efficiency to the marketplace and allows for greater customization.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you, like, again, like going back to like when I was on the buy side, you know, we, we had to walk uphill to school kind of thing. You know, one of the frustrations that I always thought was just like awful was that you buy in an account and then they liquidate the next day because, you know, that's, they always treated munis as sort of like their cash equivalent. Has that attitude changed after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act where, you know, the actual tax income has become even more so important or is that? of laissez-faire attitude still sort of present uh when it comes to sma account holders
2: yeah i mean i I still do feel no matter how often we try to encourage the strategic long-term vision for this asset allocation that it will always be used as a checking account because nothing will ever happen to our pristine munis which knock on wood is usually true Um, but if you look back to march of 2020 where we had clients clients sold munis or the majority of the conversations that we had with our clients they were selling their munis because there was a market and they were selling their munis because they wanted to go into equities. Right. So, yes, they still do continue to use it um, as a, a checking account or as cash equivalents, even though they're not. Um, but I will say it just shows how much our market has evolved that they can. And I think that's actually a really neat factoid.
1: Yeah. Right? I mean, so
2: There was so much slack about what was, you know, illiquid during uh, the initial COVID crisis in March. And yeah, we had a couple of bad days and we've all talked about it at length, but I I don't think people give enough credit to how quickly the market snapped back. And oh, by the way, we saw it again in January, right? We had a few days of fun. People hate when I say it, but higher rates make me happy. Um, And then the market stabilized. Why? There's a lot of cash to people to work. People believed in the liquidity. We have lots of different buyers who are now permanent members of our investment community.
1: I mean, I don't want to ask like specific trade secrets to, to your shop in general, but you know, we saw a lot of market-wide outflows. Did you guys experience the same thing or did you see it as a, a good time? Not good time, but did you see it as like a good growth opportunity to retell the story and sort of have a contra trend there?
2: Yep. I mean, if you look at the outlook that we posted, it's still up on um, com. It's called The Journey Home. That's exactly it. Right. We had 2020 where clients were looking for liquidity, 2021 where clients were looking for yield, and now it's kind of like, well, let's take a step back and look at our asset allocation and our fixed income allocation, our muni allocation, and what is it supposed to look like? Because we've changed a few things over the years. Um, so we benefit from having a diverse and complementary platform where, yeah, you might see some outflows out of A and going into B, but there are a are reasons for it and it's nice that we have those solutions to offer to clients so yes there's money moving around but probably no different than any other um, asset management platform has witnessed either okay. and by the way i would say probably anticipated too based on some of the things that we've talked about yeah for sure for Sure. I think sure. The asset class.
1: yeah i would imagine there's a lot of lessons learned after the disruption in 2020 where They realize the market realized how tepid liquidity can be in a time of volatility spikes in terms of raising preemptive cash.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, just while we're on this topic, I mean, I'm just curious, you know, um, last year, I feel like one of the big themes for munis was that things were very slow. Trading was really light. Returns were kind of eh. And so this year, it seems like things have kind of come back to life. Like, you know, trading volumes are up. Like it has been, you know, a down year for munis. But I'm just curious if there's anything about um, just like market dynamics so far this year that have, has surprised you, um, just in terms of how things have shaken out the first you know month and a
2: half. The only thing that has surprised me so far is how much rates backed up in January. And again, everyone has has written about this already, but we wouldn't have expected that to happen in January. Um, the additional follow-on activity uh, that the market allowed for tax loss harvesting readjusting duration, like we we didn't have those opportunities last year, right? So I think the volatility that we did see and the expectation of, you know, the rate rises that we do see are encouraging more activity to happen in our marketplace. And I go back to going back home, the journey back home, right? Like clients want to reset their portfolios. So volatility are giving is giving our clients the opportunity to do just that. A lot of clients are short duration because we've been waiting for rates to go up for so long and they haven't. Well, now here's an opportunity to reinvest, you know, at higher rates. Like how excited were we that the treasury hit 2% last week? That was a, a great thing. And, and our clients are looking for entry points like that to come back into our marketplace. So that's what we're starting to see the flurry of activity. So the activity is not surprising to me. January was a bit of a surprise to me, um, but I think it was a welcome surprise by many.
1: You know, one of the things that we, we pointed to in our research, and this is just like my market observation, so for what it's worth, you know, I, I sort of blame some of the, I guess, the extent of the backup on the fact that dealers were so super heavy going into the end of the year, right? So everybody expected this January effect that never came, but I think there's like a larger thing at play and, and you can feel free to correct me, right? That the, the composition of the mini market is different, right? We have so much low coupon issuance over the last two years. It's crazy and, you know, convexity really sort of those chickens came home to roost over the last four weeks. And I feel like that freaked a lot of people out. I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Totally agree with you. And I've said this a lot, and I have a lot of friends on the dealer side, and I love them dearly. But and we keep talking about the old days, liquidity these days that are are provided by the dealer community is just not the same. Like the threshold for pain, um, the tolerance for risk, we're not making markets like we used to. Uh, So there has to be a healthy adjustment to get rates yields to where we need them to be to get other people involved to provide that stability back in. People at the lower coupons we talk about, that's one of the reasons why we shy away from lower coupons in our book, right? Because events like this never happen until they do. And then you know your, your bonds are not as liquid as you thought they were going to be. Or a client just said they were going to buy and hold forever until they decided they don't want to. So we, when we talk about our platform, we you know encourage thinking about all of the risks very broadly, even in the what if they'll never happen scenario. And for just this really hard to get uh, people to focus on lower coupons really hard to get people to focus on certain types of structures. Um, And that's why the backups are as significant as they are, so we can attract those to come in and, and make up for the gap that you know we are seeing now that we haven't seen historically.
0: I mean, with that, do you think that issuers will, um, you know, will we start seeing less primary market deals with low coupons? Because I know that that was something that had been increasingly popular over the years.
2: I think so. I I think the same way that we saw a shift to lower coupons, we'll see the reversion back. Right. I mean, issuers need to come to market with what sells, Mm -hmm. whether it was structures that weren't typical coming to market or credits coming to market that you know wouldn't in a a sloppier market i think we're going to see and hopefully through the dealer community and the feedback that we give i mean if this works correctly right what we're doing should be translated back to issuers so they know what works and if they bring to market what works hopefully they'll see that uh, relate to them in better pricing so my hope is um when we start to look at and you know this also goes back to how we started the conversation the traditional uh, retail transactional activity to managed accounts. As we're seeing that shift, and we have over the last year, few years, moved from the traditional brokerage to the advisory platform. As it, as fiduciaries and managing these portfolios, I don't like lower coupons. And if I do buy lower coupons, I'm going to ask for a little bit more spread for all of these reasons, right? So hopefully that feedback loop is working, um, and we go back to some normal coupons. And I think the rising rate environment will encourage that too.
0: And do you think, I mean, that, that could be kind of part of a bigger trend. You know, last year, year before, we wrote a lot about how it, it was always an issuer's market because there was so much money coming into the market. And so issuers could kind of do whatever they want. They could sell forward delivery bonds. They could do low coupon. I mean, do you think that the scales are shifting back to investors? And is that, I mean, is that just being driven by the, the higher rates?
2: Well, and also the fact that we've just, we were so low for so long. I mean, absolute lows, credit spreads got way too tight. We were overbought for a very long time and we're readjusting. So yes, if you look at some of the deals that have been coming to market lately, even on the high yield side, it's still free money. So do it now or they're not going to have the opportunity to do it, right? So whether it's credit or structure, like we talked about, I can see that changing because with rates going up, clients are going to be comparing a few you know, choices, they'll have choices and they'll decide, are they being compensated for this? Yes or no, right? We saw a lot of money go into high yield products because they were trying to compensate for yields being so low. That's going to start to change. Are they being compensated enough for the risk that they're taking on by going into those higher yielding products? So yeah, I do think you're going to have a shift. And I think that's why it's that much more important to have professional management for these assets because very, very often they're just lumped together as all being munis and all being the same. And it, it's periods like this that you start to see a bit of a bifurcation and differentiation across coupons, structures, credits, and, and things, you know, could, I hate to use the word dangerous, but they could get dangerous.
1: I don't think we could have like a full conversation about, you know, separately managed accounts without mentioning just fees, right? And, and fee compression has been a big narrative over the last several years, um, and we've seen it really play out in, in ETFs, right, as like BlackRock and Vanguard just like duke it out Constantly, you know, than the single digit fees, right? Obviously, like the SMEs, they're not there yet, but are you still seeing the same pressure um, on the fee front? And do you think, you know, and I guess depending on your answer, do you think we're at a relative time of peace when it comes to, you know, what fees and what managers are allowed to make right now? Because all it takes is like one larger shop to adjust when everybody else sort of like feels that they have to justify what they're doing or, you know, there's this added pressure that wasn't there before.
2: Yeah, the race to zero, hate it. I think there is an inherent level and quality of service to SMAs that warrant a higher fee. Um, That's a whole separate discussion about who's charging too much or too little or this or that. Um, I I do think we have stabilized a little bit. And I, I do think, and we talked about this briefly, but when you have a client who's looking at every purchase versus their fee, right? That, I get it, that's hard. And we go through the whole explanation, which we hold true that it's the entire portfolio, but now with rates moving upward, um, it's not that much of a, of a tough argument. Uh, clients understand it. I think if, if clients just wanted easy and cost-effective access to the money market, yeah, they'd buy ETFs, right? But as we talked about, whether it was you know, volatility or crisis or other periods of time in our market that caused stress, that's good and great until it's not and i I do firmly believe that clients look at their investments now with not a product lens but a solutions lens and a partnership lens so i think while you know people aren't just wanting to hand out free money and i think we're all conscious of fees regardless of where we sit at the table i think clients understand the value of smas and again whether it's the partnership whether it's the personal aspect to it the tax efficiency i mean you name it, I think it really resonates with a lot of clients and different types of clients.
0: And What are you hearing um, from clients in terms of like the, just to kind of go back, we were talking about customization strategies and what people are looking for. I mean, um, ESG is obviously a really big topic. Is that coming up a lot in terms of the customization and what sorts of filters and layers are are they looking for in terms of the whole ESG space?
1: Aren't all munis ESG, Amanda? (laughs)
2: Valentine's Day, not April Fool's Day. Um, Yes. I mean, depending on who you speak to and you talk about munis and ESG, that's usually the first thing that comes up. And I I think we can make a good argument as to why a lot of munis are ESG. You can't get through any conversation um, without talking about ESG. It goes back to the progress that our market has made with respect to data becoming available and accessible that I think will allow our market to better customize individual's values, um, with respect to impact and their social awareness, um, we're not there yet. Right. And I think we have a long ways to go. And I think we're all as market participants, very cautious about telling an ESG story, if we're not able to deliver on what clients are specifically looking for, um, which is why we're all putting a tremendous amount of effort into providing greater transparency to clients, you guys may have seen the issuer engagement, um, collaboration that's going on across the street uh, to help get information from issuers right into the marketplace for portfolio managers to make decisions. So it will be, and when we talk about, you know, the next cool thing for separate accounts, yeah, ESG is super exciting, uh, but we're still at the nascent stages because it all comes back to data. Our engineers would be happy for the number of times I've said the importance of data, um, but there's a lot of work being done there to allow us to be in the best position to offer and deliver to clients what they're looking for.
1: That's super helpful context. I mean, we, we our last podcast, we talked about ESG and I have a fuller appreciation for how impactful this is going to be on investing going forward. And you, know, you admitted that it's still in its nascent stages, but I mean, have you seen an uptick in clients demanding that sort of strategy, even though it's not broadly offered yet, I guess? And then, you know, how, how does that fit in if you know you have a small percentage of, of folks who want to you know, come to you guys and be managed, but it's just even more customization that's needed?
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, there. one of the biggest challenges for separate accounts is putting together the customizations and balancing the customizations with prudent portfolio management. The worst thing you can do is say, yeah, I'll do it because everyone wants to get the account and then not be able to deliver. So whether it's a a traditional separate account or one that's highly customized, you've got to make sure you can deliver what you've committed to. Um, It will go back to technology, right? Um, It will, like, so long as data is available, we should be able to code for that data. Um, Clients coming in and demanding, I mean, I don't have a problem saying no. I love saying yes, Um, but I won't say yes if we can't do it the right way. And having a conversation about ESG has so many levels to it. You can go to label bonds. You can go to green bonds. You can go to you just want these sectors and not these set. like. There's so many different ways to look at it. So if we can responsibly put something together for a client, the customizations we would absolutely love to do. If we can't, one of the neat things about SMAs too in the dialogue that you have with clients, you learn things from you learn things from each other and developing new solutions and further customization. Um, but we have to be very careful about implementing and managing the yes, and it's the availability of and the access to data that's important. It's the infrastructure to handle and manage all of those accounts because, you know, you'll have one client that will turn into a hundred and a thousand clients who want that. Um, And then the robust risk framework. This is not a set it and forget it. It's an evolving um, part of our market and we need to be very on top of all of the criteria and customizations that we agree to.
1: Is there a certain account size that it just, it's not possible to scale into the platform?
2: No, I, mean, I would say the market from when I started managing separate accounts, I think we were like in the $5 million range. And I think, you know, it's not uncommon to hear our competitors or going down to 100,000. I think that's a, a reasonable minimum right now that we're seeing across the street in separate accounts. I would not be surprised if we had this conversation, you know, a year from now plus that we go even lower.
1: Mm, interesting. I mean, it, it, is it possible to go even lower and have like a diversified portfolio? I mean, there has to be some sort of like limit, which it's like, it just doesn't make sense, right? From a liquidity standpoint, especially if they're still being treated like quasi checking accounts, because you're just going to get killed on, you know, if they have to buy in and then sell, right?
2: Well, I mean, that goes back to the infrastructure, right? It yeah. goes back to, there. Transacting with How many people you're transacting with? Uh, where you custody your bonds, right? If you look at the, the mint denominations, a lot of um, securities, they're 1,000 and 5,000. It is a retail product. So they were designed to trade in small form. And if you look at the market, you know, five and 10 years ago to where we are today, and it's one of the things we talked about, we're seeing a lot more trading in smaller pieces. So we know what the direction of travel is. It's just how quickly do we get there?
0: Where do um, millennials factor in? on all of this, I mean, some of them might not have enough money to start an account. Um, I'm just curious, like if, if they're becoming more of a buying force within muni SMAs at all.
2: Millennials are not looking at munis. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm
1: shocked by this, shocked.
2: <laughs> um, no, all kidding aside, you know, I would say there is an underlying invest with, with purpose that you hear from a lot of the, the younger generation, um, w- which by the way, is really nice to see. Uh, but it goes back to what they want and what our market is ready to deliver to them at this point in time but yes they're they're much more aware of wanting to know what they're buying and what those proceeds are being used for um, versus just clipping coupons
1: god how do you admit it? that's a, like a great point though right but you know as the the boomer generation ages and they start drawing down their accounts you know this is probably going to take a lot of the wind out of the the, the sales for a lot of platforms, not just SMEs, how do you think that the next wave of growth is going to come as far as like AUM for the muni space? If you have a generation that just doesn't care about munis, I mean, let's face it, they're kind of boring. I like them. Amanda likes them. You like them, obviously. Um, but they're just not that sexy of an asset class.
2: Hey, on you, Eric. At a price, there's always a buyer. <laughs> right? Fair. And, and you know that, and we saw that and we, we've seen that just a couple of weeks ago, right? That will always, so long as we're all paying taxes, there will always be a need for munis, whether it's you yeah. buying them or me buying them or Amanda buying them will all depend on, on the day and where we are in our lives or life cycles at that point in time. But, uh, you know, so long as the tax changes are, are not hurtful to how our market operates, there's always going to be demand from some type of buyer.
0: Um, I want to shift gears a little bit um, to talk a little bit. You mentioned high-yield munis and just kind of the primary market changing. I'm just curious like what you make of where high-yield is at at this point. You know, they are seen as this hedge for rising rates. Um, You know, there's a ton of money coming into the market. So credit-wise, that would position all munis pretty well. Um, But there is like this lingering perception that like the market has embraced way too much risk over the years, isn't being paid for it um i guess i'm just curious like what you make of the debate around high yield and kind of where you stand on that part of the market at this point
2: yeah i mean we do have a really strong credit backdrop for munis it looks really good um and that definitely spills over into the high yield market you're seeing some improvements and progress being made in some of the, the high yield names like puerto rico as an example um but If you look, and I think you asked this earlier, Amanda, if you look at the last, you know, 12 to 24 months, the issuance has gotten pretty aggressive, right? And we won't go through and name some of the deals that probably shouldn't have come to market, Um, but Scott Diamond, who co-heads the muni business with me, you know, says this and and says it well, it's almost important um, to have a conversation about what you don't own versus what you own, right? And a deal might come to market and we might not like it today, maybe it's overpriced, but you know, a couple of months or years from now, when maybe it starts to crack a little bit, it it could become interesting again. And I think that's where we are currently with our our lens. It's one of caution. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not forced to buy everything that's out there in, in um, in that category, but we're definitely cautious about not only looking at a deal when it comes to market, but following the deal thereafter for when the opportunities present themselves. But one of the things that we talked about was, you know, 2021 just being that that race to capture as much yield as possible so our spreads are, are looking pretty tight right now and we mm. need to be careful about how things are being priced and if they're being priced appropriately um, and from what we're seeing a lot of deals just haven't been
1: i mean is that surprising that we've seen spread widening over in corporates and it just hasn't really translated to munis because you know last year i could have understood it a little bit more when we were had week after week of inflows but that's obviously softened now, but we still haven't sort of seen the same, you know, cracking of spreads in, in high yield or IG to this point. Um, I think I just ran the option adjusted spreads for a high yield index the other day. And there, there are a couple of bips wider, nothing to write home about. So, I mean, are, are you still cautious about lagging into some cuspier credits? I mean, is that sort of how you're looking at it?
2: I would say RPMs will quote, at a price, they're interested in everything. So if it was a a deal that they liked, that was priced appropriately for the amount of risk they were taking on, they would not be shy about moving forward. Um, I think they're in a really neat position looking at the composition of our fund, just not to have to chase after something. But I I think we are looking for and welcoming the opportunity for things to loosen up a little bit um, so we can become more active. It's all about selectivity.
0: One question, just about muni SMAs, would be if there is an impediment to growth. Like, do you see something that could kind of rein in some of the um, growth in AUM that we've seen, you know, over the past few years?
2: Um, the impediment to growth, lower yields would have been an impediment, and I think that's because, you know, as we discussed, we look at the prices. Um, I'm sorry, the yields versus uh, the fees that are being paid. And uh, that was an impediment, we saw it. Um, the other thing is I think our ability to provide to clients what they're looking for at times can maybe be a little bit hurtful to growth. And what I mean there is um, we're constantly being asked uh, and then not just us, I'm sure across the street about higher yielding or more income generating SMAs. Well, it doesn't come for free, <laughs> right? So it's either gonna be a funkier structure or a funkier credit. And if you have one or two of those names in a separate account, it's probably doing more harm than it is good. Um, so we, we consistently had those, those types of questions. Um, if we see liquidity change in the smaller um, trade sizes, maybe that could be an impediment, but I wouldn't think so because like I said, it, it feels like we're going the other way, which is kind of neat. Supply right? That's probably the one wild card that we have zero control over. We can pitch a robust platform, great risk management, every customization you can think about. But if a client is looking for X, Y, Z, and we can't find it in the marketplace, whether it's because our market's not that big, or we're not seeing a tremendous amount of new issue, or just not seeing that type of issue, it's going to be hard to responsibly put together portfolios. And then you have to give on certain things. And, you know, that's a, a fine balancing act.
0: And I, I guess this would be kind of more of a um, a wild card question because we haven't really talked about this much. But um, Sylvia, I, I think you're in your office um, in New York, um, and so I know that you're really involved in kind of industry events and, and so on within the Muni industry. I mean, I guess I'm just curious, like what you make of the work from home new normal we've been in, and if you're hoping that. You know, for the sake of the industry, if we're able to kind of be able to get back in person a a bit more and, you know, what that means for things like mentoring and just kind of industry stuff.
2: Um, I have been coming to the office since it started in March of 2020. Um, One of the reasons why I love my job is because of the people that I work with, so it's kind of hard to work with them from home Um, and having grown up at the firm, the apprenticeship model that we have here is just invaluable and the conversations that take place when you're sitting with your team or your pods and talking market, trade, trying to come up with a client solution or a new product. You can't do that on a scheduled Zoom. Um, And, you know, the new kids that are coming out of school, I mean, you guys remember when you got your first job offers. I remember when I got my offer to Goldman, like I couldn't wait to walk in that, turn through that turnstile to come in and and meet people. Um, So I think we're slowly getting back there. My team in particular, we've been relatively, healthy staffed for a while now and I think it's because they're not being told to come in I, I do think especially the younger um, peeps understand the value of being in the office and being together every day I'm all for flexibility I have two kids my husband's in the industry as well They're you know, having not having to leave work early to go to a school event and come back and forth or making your doctor's appointment or, like flexibility is important and that should become the norm and we shouldn't feel bad about it Uh, But I'm a really big fan of all the merits that being in the office brings you and ultimately your clients. I mean, the number of conversations that we've had that end up being truly beneficial to clients, um, hard to even put a number on. And again, you can't do that if we're all all over the place.
1: I want to just pivot off that for a second because that was a great question, Amanda. And um, Megan McArdle over in our news division put out a really interesting piece this morning, just basically looking at how, And and the context was cities aren't living up to their long COVID crisis. And it all centered around how things are reopening from an economy standpoint, but we haven't seen, you know, offices return en masse. And that really does have an overhang on the, you know, the sort of larger economies in downtown areas. You know, I can speak to this, you know, from Philadelphia, but what does that mean for credit going forward? And is that a concern that you guys are even thinking about um, as the stimulus money does run out, right? Because it's not, you know, infinite. Yep.
2: Uh, David Alter, who heads up our research arm, would love this question. Um, And while we hate to, you know, bring up horrible times of our past, if you look at, and I don't know where you guys were um, during 9-11, but I know where I was, and I was down here at 85 Broad, right? And I remember what it was like then. I remember what it was like afterwards. I remember what the city went through. And I remember where we were before COVID happened, right? So I think especially big cities like New York will come back. It's just a matter of how of how quickly they come back. And I don't know where you guys live. I live on the Upper East Side. The, everyone is waiting, <laughs> chomping at yeah. the bit to come back. The number of people walking around without their masks. Restaurants are packed. You couldn't yeah. get a reservation. Um, we will get there. And I, again, Eric, you mentioned you know in the earlier questions, but history and you know future performance we do have some instances to point to whether it's something as horrible as 911 or hurricanes and floods like we do bounce back and i don't think covid's any different than that and we're seeing it already
0: we we'll definitely echo that in new york seems like The winter is holding us back, too, at this point.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but Saturday, everyone was out and about. I mean, that's coming into people again. And even here at the office, there's so many more people that are in over the last few weeks. I'm hopeful. All
1: right. So Seinfeld was right. We should trust what Jerry Seinfeld said. Always. All right. (laughs) And that's a good rule in life in general.
0: Sylvia, you've mentioned a few times that you're um, really happy about higher interest rates. I guess I'm curious if that's kind of the, the one thing you're really looking forward to in terms of like market-specific things this year, if that's what you're excited about.
2: Me personally, not necessarily the views of GCM Uni Fixed Income, absolutely. Um, and just because of all the conversations that we've had with clients over the years, they love the asset class. They know the importance of the asset class, but it's just really hard to get them moving off the sidelines when you have the conversation of cash versus munis. Mm-hmm. But you know the desire is there, and it's been so awesome to have an uptick in conversations about putting money to work and just feeling the excitement um, of you know the two-year on the treasury, on uh, sorry on the ten-year treasury the two percent. So the, the momentum is there to kind of get back to a, a normal in our market. So. You know, while we might feel some pain that we haven't seen in a long time with respect to, again, the journey home and resetting our portfolios, super excited. And by the way, you said last year was kind of a sleepy year with respect to trade activity. So I think we can all use a little bit of an uptick in, in what lies ahead.
1: Awesome. Well, on that note, I want to thank Sylvia uh, for your time and Amanda uh, for, for helping us out as always. And you know, for all our listeners, we really appreciate it. Next month, we're gonna be talking high yield munis. Um, and I think that will actually be pretty interesting given the sort of market disruption and negative returns that we've had to start the year on an area that's really sort of been bulletproof over the last several. So I invite you guys to listen to that as well when we record. So thanks again, Sylvia.